I'm not here to buy anything. All I want to do is find the lost and found Emporium. I was told it was around here. It's here. Sometimes. Sometimes? What the hell is that supposed to mean? It means sometimes it's here and sometimes it's not. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation about uh, Dead Woman Shoes. That was a fun segment to get into. Uh, there, And we also realized if you're going to chase somebody with a gun, don't wear heels or pumps or whatever. Like that's like wear appropriate footwear when you're going to chase somebody down. That, that maybe, you know what, maybe that's not the best advice for 2022. How about don't go shooting people with guns and don't like, you know, run after them, give them a hug. And be like, I appreciate you as a person. How about that? What do you think haunted shoes smell like? Bad. They, you know, they <laughs> really, really, really bad. Uh, I saw, um, I don't know if this is a real ad or not, but I saw somebody post in one of the many Facebook groups because I'm all about the memes that was supposedly of this like uh, Honda Pilot for sale that was like, you know, in good shape, uh, low miles, has a death smell because mother in law died in it and we didn't realize for three days or something. I'm like, yeah, that's not a selling point for me. Like, I don't care how inexpensive the vehicle is, but if it smells like dead grandma, I'm out. Yeah, can't gra- do it. I don't want some grandma gravy like in my <laughs> seats. What the hell? <laughs> it's like not the driver's seat, just you know, in the back sometimes. Whatever, it gets weird. Anyway, so that's that's awkward. Uh, so yeah, welcome to Straight Highways. This is a show in which we watch the Twilight Zone. Uh, in order, uh, episode by episode, segment by segment, we've covered the original series, the 60 series. Uh, we've covered the Jordan Peele produced uh, Paramount Plus two seasons. Go and check that out as well. And now we're into the 80s series, right? So uh, we still have a whole lot of Twilight Zone left. And what we're getting into now is season one, episode nine, segment B, Wong's Lost and Found Emporium. So, um, so yeah, that, that I always, I feel like I know I say this every episode. I always feel like I have to give the mission statement of what this is because, uh, anthology is wonderful and important. And I think there's a lot of fun to be told in like smaller stories and short form storytelling. And the twilight zone has some really great examples of it and not so great examples of it. And I thank you guys for coming on this journey because we don't know what's coming next, especially with the 80 series. We, we don't know a whole lot. Well, you yeah. never know. They could have opened a door and suddenly <laughs> yeah, found our podcast. Been, like we, we, you could have wandered through a sex shop and been like, I'm trying to find strange highways. It's like, it's there sometimes or not. Like, what do you mean by that? It's like, just go in the back. And it's like, uh, that's even sounds creepier, but sometimes there could be a door there. Sometimes there could not be a door there. So, uh, if, well, thank you for choosing the right door. This feels like a choose your own adventure. It's like you went to the strange highways door versus the alley full of junk and rats. I don't know. That podcast probably has more listeners than us anyway. So, <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, let's just get into it. So where, where are we at here? We got, uh, let's, let's get into who did what. 
Okay, so uh, since we covered uh, all day and date stuff the last time, uh, we'll get right into our cast. And uh, director for this is Paul Lynch. Uh, we just talked about him more recently because of uh, his connection to uh, Examination Day and a message fr- uh, from, Clar- uh, from Charity. Clarity. Yeah, a, a Clarity message from Charity. Yeah. Me- yeah. Message from Charity. Yeah. Um, so he, he he directed both of those, right? Yes, That's he did. what we found. Okay. So this is the third of his nine segments in total he'll be directing for this iteration of The Twilight Zone. So yeah, please go back and check that out. That we had some, uh, I feel like we had a really good discussion about that. So. But uh, next year, our writer uh, for the story, we have two credits here. The story was William F. Wu. Uh, nothing else as far as like that was adapted um, mm-hmm. that he had wrote. I didn't. Did you did you see anything like I, yeah, his, I, I dug in? I dug okay. into William F. Wu. He actually was nominated for two Hugo Awards, which is important for like sci fi writing. OK. Uh, he uh, also did. I think this is interesting. So he wrote. Uh, a number of uh, books after based upon the three laws of robotics uh, by Isaac Asimov. So he wrote two entries in Asimov's Robot City series. And then um, he also wrote all six novels in a series that uh, called Isaac Asimov's Robots in Time. Those series um, were written in Asimov's universe and were written uh, to like young adult standards. So they're kind of like YA novels. However, um, they were the first series of books approved by Asimov's um, estate. Meaning okay. like, he, like you see now, like there's a lot of books written in like, you know, there was so many VC Andrews books that are written well after her, like Tom Clancy. There's always people that write shit like that are like Cl- Clive Cussler is another one. It's like, I think his son took over that. Like you get people that are writing under this pen name. Well, and then you get yeah. like the 007 stuff, which that dude's passed away. Too, oh yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Ian, yeah. Was it Ian Fleming? Right. So yeah. like you have everybody writing in like the spirit of, or in honor of, or whatever. So this was the first actual series that was approved by the estate, meaning that at least it passed like them to be like, this is an honor of what Asimov wrote. So that's cool. Um, uh, Wu, Wu is uh, Asian American and he's written a number of different, uh, collections and stories. Like he isn't like he, he's, um, I, I was digging into a little bit. Like, it's interesting because there's not as much, like, you know, um, like Asian uh, representation sometimes in sci-fi. Like, and I'm sure that's changing now, thankfully, right? Because more, the more voices, the better. And all, and credit to um, uh, Alan Brennert and um, uh, Peter Gare, uh, Peter DeGare, I think the guy who's the, like, the, to bring in other people's voices to the series, right? Because that's important. But yeah, he... Um, you know, this is his only contribution to the Twilight Zone. Not for lack of trying. We'll get into some of the trivia a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, that's this is his only segment, and um, we're, we'll get into the story and proper. But I'm glad that that this was brought forward because one also one of the goals too from uh, Daguerre was to bring in actual short fiction stories to turn into teleplays because he felt like a lot of anthology series, and maybe this was Alan Brenner talking on the commentary, forgive me, some of these names get a little flipped around sometimes, um, in the commentary track for this this segment, that he felt like a lot of it was just kind of written, tell, a lot of it was written just for TV, meaning that it didn't have time to kind of percolate and for people to kind of like pick, meaning you still get good teleplays, don't get me wrong, but you know, if you already have established works out there that have had time to kind of stand on their own, why wouldn't you go out to them and find them for the show? Like, because the Twilight Zone did a lot of that as well. It makes perfect sense. I mean, especially yeah. if like you're trying to give these guys uh, some kind of foot in the door. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, if, 
we don't see that, unfortunately, for uh, Mr. Wu's career here, but he could have been the next big writer, you know? Yeah, and he's he had a pretty have. successful career, but it's like, um, what was it? Um, not This is not the same thing, but we talked about, um, what was it, uh, Ambrose Bierce, who uh, the short story... Uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge became like, like, and it like wasn't intended to be a Twilight Zone episode, but it's a pretty goddamn great episode, the Twilight Zone. How like his work was out there forever and people were like taking and adapting it. So I think that it's something fair to be said for the producer of the show where it's like, you know what? We know about these, these short form stories. Let's, let's translate them because like the bones are already there. You know, I mean, we'll get, we'll get into this actual story itself, but. Credit, credit for them to, to find Wu's work and also, you know, like to adapt it and, and give him, you know, a little bit of attention. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and then our teleplay was, uh, adapted by, uh, or, or done yeah. by rather, uh, Alan, uh, Bernard, 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 yeah. Bernard. I, I always mess his name up. Well, cause it's not, it's not spelled like how words work, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. We're going to have more to talk about with this gentleman later. Uh, yeah, this is his fourth of 10 segments. We'll, yeah, we've talked about him previously, a couple other things, for good and for bad. Uh, a Message for Charity, I think, was also one. Well, actually, I think he actually wrote both that and Examination Day. And yeah, I think, and, yeah, and we went a little bit uh, like further into his filmography in that, uh, during Shatter Day. So, yeah, there you go. So please go back to the first episode of all of these uh 80s uh, uh ones that was the bruce willis one so check that one out it's a really good episode yeah, it's too. fun yeah so um and then so to our, to our cast we go um forgive me if i mess some of these names up i am not that good at reading uh, <laughs> <laughs> so i like how i'm like terry you say words now and you're like i don't i don't do words good i'm like but you got to do it <laughs> one syllable at a time have fun with this folks so uh, luckily the first one is uh brian tochi I think it's brain. I'm kidding. No, continue. <laughs> brain. Yeah. Um, he plays David Wong. This is our main character here. Uh, he was in. I. They did a good job of making him not look like this character, but he was in Revenge of the Nerds. The first one, the third one, and apparently there is a fourth one. Oh. So, so he's uh, Tanaka. or not uh, ta- uh, Takahashi. Yeah, Takahashi. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah, I was like, oh my God. I was like, I did not. Yeah. I didn't recognize it. Yeah, um, Asian characters represented and sex comedies in the 80s are not represented well. No, especially <laughs> if you watch Pretty in Pink. Oh, no. Really bad. <laughs> uh, we laugh because it's terrible. It's it's terrible. But it's one of those things, it's like growing up, you didn't, it's like you didn't think twice about it. Because sitcoms yeah. are, they perpe- they were yeah. big perpetrators of this as well. It's, it's shitty. Um, yeah. I'm glad that we are finally kind of moving away from it, but it's, it's still kind of normalized and it's not yeah, it's funny. not great it's not funny because it's like the broken english it's like the fish out of water like right. he was he was also in two police academy films i i'm going to guess he was not handled well there as a character yeah, as I think well it was like part four and part five I yeah believe, something, something like, like that. that uh but in terms of like his exposure um as a actor he was actually one of the most well-known asian american actor like faces that you would see in a lot of this stuff so credit to him that he was you know, getting work and doing work and, um, probably uh, took some jobs that he really felt disrespected. Yeah. I'm going to guess. Yes. Uh, and that, that actually kind of feeds into some of his motivation for the character for this too. We'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, he was also, he's been doing a lot of TV and animation video game work. Like, you know, cool. Like, you know, if, if, you know, there's money there, I would like to be a voice actor for video games and uh, cartoons. And the job is way easier nowadays. You could do it from home. You could do it a thousand miles away. That's true. It's all People, cool. if you want to hear 
just me make the same voice over and over again or like the <laughs> voice hire me it's fine i will do it like i like i only have two voices but i will do them to the best of my ability i don't know uh Pendulet always joked about how he you always have your voice and then like the other guy voice where you're telling stories yeah about like and that guy said this it's like everybody has another guy voice <laughs> yeah mine's usually like the the like the Dude from the trailer park. Yeah, he sounds like this. Yeah, yeah Pendulet always said that he sounded like Yosemite Sam. Like his other guy's <laughs> voice was always Yosemite <laughs> Sam. <laughs> yeah. Var- calling everybody a varmint. Varmint, right? Yeah. And then shooting your gun so hard in the ground that you lift yourself up. Anyway, so uh, so yeah. Like the other thing, too. Uh, like this is like I'm going to steal Terry's thunder here. Uh, um, Brian Tochi was the voice of Leonardo, uh, the Ninja Turtle, the leader of the Ninja Turtles, the master of the Katana. In the first three live-action Ninja Turtle films, so there you go. That it's one of my childhood loves. I love the Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, dude, Ninja Turtles is what I cut teeth on, man. Like it was just, it was my thing. It was, yeah. it was my thing. Like, like I mean, I know you're a little younger than myself, but I don't know if you remember that the original series, the animated series, was um, like syndicated, mm-hmm. and it was like for me, like I ended up watching like some Pittsburgh syndicate like WPXI or whatever, but it was like, or, or PGH uh, 54. Um, and it was like Sunday mornings and I'd catch that. It was like the one thing I was excited about. My mom like was like, you were really like in front of that. Like, cause before it became like a big thing, I'm like, yeah, cause it's goddamn Ninja Turtles and they're awesome. You know, the turtles were like my favorite animals at the <sighs> yeah. time too. So it's like me being a kid and like, I'm just going to the schoolyard and playing Ninja Turtles cause I was a dork. Um, but Michelangelo, yeah. you're still my dude. Leonardo, you're a dork. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, okay. That's, that's a hot take. That's a, that's a Ninja Turtle hot take here. Everybody. No, uh, uh, Donatello. There you go. That's the one. No, you got it. No, wait, wait. <laughs> just you just said the worst one. No, he's not. Oh, he's the worst. Oh, I don't know about that. He's I don't know worst. about that. No, no, he's the best. Come at me, folks. He was the best one in the arcade game because his uh, his bow staff reached out furthest in the the. the okay, so that's okay. like the Princess Peach, you know, like in uh, Mario Two. Okay, yeah. well, whatever. You, you know. got you got to have that good character to go to, but in the show, he's a nerd. So okay, but we're we're um, digging deep into uh, '80s Twilight Zone. So what makes a, are we just like are we just bro connoisseurs and not nerds? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he was also in Fight Club. Apparently, too, must have been a, a very minor role. I do not remember him from Fight Club. So yeah, it's, I think in the background, someone's like Yo Leonardo and just punches him in the face, and that guy's like Donatello rules and walks away. <laughs> if I remember right, I think that's exactly what happened. You picked the wrong character to voice. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, so yeah. Next here we have uh, Anna Maria Poon. Uh, she plays Melinda. Uh, six credits. Wasn't familiar with them. Yeah. Well, that's it. Her uh, career was very short. Yeah. And yeah, just it is what like I was trying to find anything else. It's like there really wasn't much um, to to dig into. I mean, that's what happens sometimes, right? Yeah. So yeah. we get it one and done. Uh, I'm surprised though. Like I felt like she. I mean, she's a beautiful woman and. She, I mean, she had some charisma. A little bit of charisma. I just, you know, we'll get in. Like, I maybe if I if I remember at the end of this, some of the some of the acting here feels a little weird to me. Fair but enough. Yeah, I mean, she was perfectly okay. And and I'll I'll, I'll spoil this right now. Um, during the commentary track, um, William F. Wu was um there with Alan Brennert, and he and Wu and Wu was like, I'm pretty sure, and he's like, correct me if I'm wrong. And this was like in the when they recorded this commentary track it was 20 years after 
the, this episode aired, he's like, I think this was the first part of like dramatic television where there was two Asian leads. So that's significant, you know? So, cause like there would be like mixed leads, but like to actually have two characters of Asian descent be the main characters in something on like primetime television, that's significant. So we got to at least give credit for that. Yeah. Good on them, man. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there should have been a wave of change. Like, I, I mean, uh, who did, there was a, Who's the Asian gentleman from uh, Star Trek that uh, was in two of the original? Uh, well, um, well, we had we had um, uh, oh shit, <laughs> uh, you know um, I'm putting you on the spot. No, I'm no, sorry. no. It's uh, it's George Takei. He was yeah, in, he Takei. was in one. He was in um, was the in Encounter. Um, no, he wasn't in. Uh, no, that was the only one oh, he okay. was in. Uh, you might be thinking about that uh, Equality of Mercy, where that was Spock was in that for a half second. But yeah, and then um, what was it? Um, uh, oh shit. Um, you know, Al from quantum leap, uh, played in, uh, a Filipino, like, uh, and well, for, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, no, the episodes actually handled really, really well. Okay. Like I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Dean Stockwell plays, um, an American soldier. <clears throat> and then he flips to, I think he's being a Filipino or, uh, uh, Chinese. I forgive me, but he, it's very like all things considered respectful. Okay. So yeah. Cool. Uh, so, um, yeah, anyways, back to what we were talking about initially. So um, our next uh, actor here is uh, Carol Bruce, uh, plays Mrs. Wilford. Uh, she was in a lot of episodes of WKNR. Or w- w- <laughs> WKNR. WK, well, I'll t- let me sound a sec. Yeah. WKRP. There we go. In Cincinnati. Yeah. And then there was the new WKRP in Cincinnati. She was in episodes of that. Oh, well. I didn't so, like, realize they did that. Okay, two, good. two versions of it. Yeah, because the original series only ran for 90 episodes, so it actually didn't hit like the syndication number, which mm-hmm. is weird. And then the VH1, I think, brought it back for like two seasons. And then they actually hit the syndication number because it's usually for most like sitcoms, like you hit 100, you're good to go. But yeah, that that's the big thing from that I got noted from her. She worked from 37 uh, to 2000. So she was like constantly working and doing other things, but yeah, that was probably her most recognizable role. And she apparently was in uh, planes, trains, and automobiles as well. So, but uh, next here we have Stacy Keach Senior. Uh, he plays elderly man. He was in uh, Saturday the Fourteenth and uh, Armed and Dangerous, which I that movie is so fun. If you've never seen Armed and Dangerous, is that, is that John, John Candy? Candy? Okay, yeah. dude, that <laughs> movie is so fun. But um, and he was also in Pretty Woman. Okay, also the father of Stacy Keach Jr. That we all know Stacy Keach as Stacy Keach. So he's the father of that that gentleman. Uh, one episode of uh, uh phrase Nightmares. Um, also in ten episodes of Get Smart, he was like like the kind of the uh, Q type of person where oh, he would, okay. like do the gadgets. However. He was actually like a successful, he was running some kind of business. And he was really successful with that to the point to where he was getting phone calls while he was on set. Like he had to actually step away from acting for a bit because he was being like such a successful businessman. Oh, wow. And then so later on, he came back because you could tell like this is one of the things that he had like kind of a passion for, but he didn't need the money, but he would just do it. And it's like, that's kind of cool. That's like, oh, you're doing your own thing. And when people would be like, well, what are you doing? He mentioned whatever the name of like the labs were for get smart. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm doing like, like control work or whatever. <laughs> and be like, oh yeah, you're working on that goofy lab set as opposed to making business decisions. But yeah, hmm. that's yeah. Like when I saw Stacy Keach as the name here, I'm like, where was he? And I realized I'm like, oh yeah, senior. I never think of Stacy Keach as a junior. Because he's never listed that way, like the son of, right? right? So, yeah. 
So uh, next year, and uh, Paul's probably going to have to help me out with this one. Jack goes. Joseph Joe Joe jo- Joseph Fonson. Jo- it's J O Z E F S O N. Josephson. I think. Yeah, sure. Maybe. Right. Right. Josephson. Yeah. Whatever. It, that's probably. Yeah, that's better. You know how to read words. Jumping, <laughs> jumping, Jack Josephassens. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphatson. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, he plays cashier. Uh, episode of Night Court. Um, Married with children. That's the only things I was familiar with. Yeah, I just put fifty credits, like a lot of bit parts, and I like to to quote uh, quote the Flintstones. It's a living, you know, yeah. like yeah, good good on him. Fifty more credits than I have. Yeah, well, yeah. And uh, so then, uh, and the last credit here I have is a uh, Marty Levy. Marty Levy. Sorry if I made that too fast. There, uh, he plays customer. Uh, he's in Back to the Future Two mm-hmm. and Volcano. And this was his first role. So I thought that was worthy of note. And then also, I owe you an apology for last week because you mentioned the, the music uh, for the previous segment, Dead Woman Shoes by being by Craig Safin. You're like, yeah, he was in, he did the music for Nightmares. And I'm like, you know, that name should be way more familiar to me because he did the soundtrack to The Last Starfighter. Yeah. Which is a great score. So, yeah. Look, like, I know, I'm sure we brought that up during our, our Nightmares episode, but I, you know, it would be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention last starfighter so there you go so well we obviously have a lot of uh, a lot of things to say and sometimes we don't have an opportunity to say them on the mic or we so. forget them because our our brains are are borked up you know whatever anyway so so yeah that's our cast that's uh you know our writer director who did what our music um let's just get into wong's lost and found emporium uh well we have an actual charles Aidman intro like that's not that's not a common thing let, let mr Aidman take it away there is a place where everything that's ever been lost can be found again. A place where lost hopes, lost dreams, lost chances wait for someone to reclaim them. But before you can find them, first you must become lost in the Twilight Zone. I, I don't know. The, the more I keep hearing some of these intros, I'm just confused. I'm like, is this someone just like throwing like word? Like, just, I don't They're taking like magnets to throw against the fridge and be like, is that our intro? I just... It's fine. It's fine. It's just I kind of miss Serling's intros. I really do. Like maybe because you know he was really good at kind of writing a tight like intro. Whatever. Anyway, it's it's lo- it's Wong's lost and found. We open up on a shot of San Francisco. I'm I met Little China. No, I'm just I'm kidding. It always felt like I always feel like we're going to go into you know because that's big trouble. Little China happened in like San Francisco, right? Was it right? There? Yeah. yeah. I was almost like, oh, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Come on, get me the the three storms. Anyway, that I'm glad happen. you brought that up because I just watched it like two days ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that movie. We're just riding the pork chop express into whatever's going on here, right? But what's so. Jack Burton to say? Have to say about this episode? <laughs> you know? Oh, I would like to think that he was always in, like I. I love that film, and I'm I'm, I'm sure I'll get to the discussion of that at some point. Uh, and we'll we'll. Terry was on another show that I did. We'll talk about that at the end. We, we teased that, I think, last week, but we'll get into it again later. But um, I love that he's supposed to be the main character, but he's not, like, the hero of the story. <laughs> Something about that is constantly entertaining to me. It's like, oh, yeah, you're the guy on the poster, but you're not the hero. You're just kind of... <laughs> he just the, tripped into you're it. You're just this, this the idiot that's trying to do well, but you keep getting knocked out. <laughs> it, it's it's a good, weird, like, uh, like upside down of snake bliskin yes yeah that's a good call so anyway um so we get uh we get david uh entering a sex shop uh we get our main character david um i'm just like 
whoa, CBS, you're going to let that happen here? Like, I was taken aback by how much they showed on the screen. I mean, it was brief, but they showed plenty. It was weird. Yeah. I was like, this is like nightmare stuff for me because I used to work at Spencer's Gifts and we sold adult stuff and I would have some people come in to return said adult stuff. And it's like, well, I don't know where that's been. This is kind of like a biohazard now. <laughs> like, I, I don't have the right equipment to take care of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the dude, there is a dude, a customer. Um, he is returning a blow up doll. <laughs> it's it's probably my favorite like really fast joke I've seen in a long time where he's like it's not working. I used you know a bicycle pump, a hair dryer, my mouth, and then the cashier's like, whoa, 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 we don't need to get graphic here. <laughs> yeah. And you see the suitcase with like the the mouth of a sex doll <laughs> like poking out, and it's like. Yeah, it's just um, it's so fast. It's so like it's one of those things where I'm like, I, like I kind of appreciate they did it, but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have to be this in the story. But I think it's funny. It is. It's funny. I think it's really funny, and I it was unexpected. I didn't, yeah. I was like, wait a minute, what? What? Right? What? I was like, I was like, in this day and age, especially we're still like PC about things, and that sex is still not as. Uh, easy of a subject to talk about, but we can have people dying on screen. Well, yeah, so. but it's like even here, like I, we, we we know that um, this show was supposed to, what, originally slated to be like a 10 o'clock later show. And it was an eight o'clock show when it was originally aired. So, I mean, you know, what what's worse, Nightcrawlers or this? Nightcrawlers is way more traumatic than than some dude with like a sex doll and a, and a suitcase, right? But I love that Dave just, just, just walks in. He's like, I'm a dick. I have questions. And he hits the the suitcase, and you, you hear the air come out of it a little <laughs> bit, like pew, you know, whatever. And the cashier's like, "This guy's talking to me first. And I love also the cashier's like, "I threw a bikini in too. Calm down, whatever." Yeah. Anyway, this is like <laughs> anyway. So David's like, like, it, like I'm looking for the lost and found, you know. And he's like, "All right, well, it's here." And the cashier's like, "It's here sometimes." Which I like how matter of fact he is about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes the door shows up. Sometimes it doesn't show up. Whatever. Just get out of my face. I'm talking to a guy that has, like, you know, the sex doll in a suitcase. Like, you know, get just I got bigger problems than to talk to you about a door, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I like how it's so nonchalant, too. Yeah, like, he's just like. What? He's like, he's like, yeah. It happens. Sometimes there's a door there. Sometimes there's not. Get out of my face. You know, whatever. I also feel like this guy gets paid so little that the fact that there's a mystical door that appears and disappears is the least of his problems. Because like, one, the, whoever goes through there, not his customer. And two, it's like not his problem. <laughs> you know, like. Well, that's. Like, yeah. it, and that's fair. And I almost I, I, I question it that much more now, knowing that this is a sex shop. It's like, well. Hold on a second. So it's in the back of the store. Somebody's just going to walk in there. What is going beyond going would on the, beyond that would, door? Would you have preferred a door or just a set of cowboy doors? What would you have preferred or a beaded curtain? What would you have preferred going into the lost of found? You know the cowboy doors, like you go to your family. Yeah, video. saloon doors. You, you yeah. gotta go. You know, you're gonna go back. You know, but would it have been better? Like it'd been like, what's this beaded curtain doing back here? Like, I guess I, I've seen out. the howling. I I know what one of these rooms looks like. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, it like that was like me i was like wait a minute i was like 
the killer is back there right yeah, now. Right, <laughs> and yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. the happy face smile yeah, like, like t- uh, stickers, you know? <laughs> like, are, am I going to go back here and, and like try to walk through the door? It's going to be a scrambled uh, Cinemax channel. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, so <laughs> so he tells him, like, yeah, go in the back. It's the door to the left. And so David goes back there, sees the door to the left, sees the door to the right, opens the door to the right, goes into an alleyway full of junk and rats. And he's like, well, that's not what I wanted. I'm like, well, you didn't you didn't listen to the instructions. Like, like you literally was told to open the door on the left idiot. Anyway. So he opens the door on the left and we get like that, like um, that moment of like, this is a bigger space. Like he sees it. And it's like, I, I call it doctor who rules of like the TARDIS of like, Oh, this doesn't make sense. How this doorway is here and you could physically walk through it. And the space behind it is significantly bigger than implied. Like he looks back at the alleyway, meaning that how the store, the, whatever he's at looking through the left door extends further to the right than it should physically. I was, uh, the thing that I connected this to, and it's something I've mo- watched more recently. It was, a uh, was it white dragons, uh, little workshop area from uh, peacemaker. Oh yeah. No, yeah. You're right. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Cause like, it like, it's like it wait. Exists in a po- pocket dimension where it's like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's exactly the same thing where it's like, this doesn't make sense. Right. So yeah. But it was fun. Like just him, like not, not as racist. I'll say first. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, Cause we do have bits of racism in this. Uh, so yeah. Uh, get ready for that guys. But uh, yeah. like just, I love how that's kind of like played out because we see both doorways open and he's just like, Hmm. Okay. This is all right. That, that no, this doesn't work out like this. Yeah. But hey, this must be what I've been looking for because he's been searching for this for three years. He says, "Yeah, we'll find out." Yeah, he it walks through the door, it disappears, and so he's in this whatever it is. It looks like um, if somebody. It looks like my house <laughs> with dead things all over the place. Well, okay, I mean, fair <laughs> enough. But I mean, it's like it's like not it's all even, legal. Like, dead. It's things. all like um, like this racking you would buy at like um, like a Home Depot. Right, yeah, like everything. Metal racking. Like, just, or it's this whole, like, it looks like it looks like a storeroom. And there's, look, yeah. So there's bones, there's skulls, there's like a know. head in a jar that's just opening its eyes sometimes, like an actual what like person's head. Like you see though, I'm like, okay, great, whatever's going on here, fine. But it's just a weird place. It's a weird place. Fine, fair enough. Um, so then, as as he's wandering around. Uh, he goes to the what he believes is the front counter. He's like, "Is there anybody here?" Blah 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 blah. No one's no one's around. And then um, he is still wandering around. And then like the one thing I think is interesting in this episode, and it, it hints at something bigger, but it doesn't really ever do much with it. Is that items just start appearing randomly? That yeah, that was strange. Yeah, meaning like as he's walking by the one shelf, there's a large weird um, like bottle i don't know what to describe it with something in it that just appears so he grabs it to look at it um meaning that it's implied that whatever this is is that it's constantly being restocked full of items that are specific to one person and we'll get to that more later right so that's kind of an interesting little quirk right it's like this is now materialized meaning that somebody's now probably going to be seeking out whatever this is right so that i mean whatever but i like (laughs) I, I almost captured this as the the audio at the end because I thought it was one of my my favorite moments of the episode, but it didn't sound right without the visual. As David's looking at this bottle or whatever it is, a door material materializes behind him, and that's when we get Mrs. Whitford walking through, and he looks out. He's like, "Is this Florida?" <laughs> like I thought that was a I thought that was a funny gag because he came in the door from San Francisco, and I'm just like. 
like the audio is okay, but like the visual is better of him just being confused. Like, wait, where this is the other coast. What's going on? And she's like, of course it is. I thought that was a funny, I thought that was a funny bit. I, it's like there, there's not like the humor in this doesn't always work well, well, but I like that moment of like, I'm confused. Is this Florida? Like, so, yeah, and it's yeah. a fun exchange real quick for that moment there. But, uh, I hate to say it, but David's kind of a dick. Well, I mean that we figure out why, but he, right. The the dialogue doesn't serve him very well. It doesn't, right? it, and and then also like, and, and just how how apathetic he is, which we're we'll get it here in a minute. But I think it could have been handled better. And but also the fact that Mrs. Whitford is, immediately sees him and assumes he works there says a lot about her. That's too. a fair <laughs> statement too. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you're yeah. the first person I interact with yeah. when I walk through the door. Maybe. Yeah. And he says like, "You think I actually work here? Whatever." It's like, yeah. I don't know. He, I, he comes off very abrasive, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for that moment. But we come to find out that she has lost something, and she was hoping that David might be able to help her out. Because she's been looking for the important as well. Right. And then we find out that her big thing is, is that she believes that she's lost time, meaning that she discovered her creative and artistic spirit later in her life than... Um, then, you know, she didn't know, but she was like a sculptor painter or whatever. And then she had some success with some of her works, but also like, you know, like she was the very real realization of like, I'm old, older. It takes a lot out of me. And she would like to get back to her prime of her creative peak. And that's what she's looking for is lost time. So as an abstract, that works. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, you know, conversation that they're having and like that, that, how it plays out that character's uh, motives. Very, very interesting. So we know that this place now at this point is even more magical than that one what we expected. Yeah. It's not just to be like, well, I lost my car keys at my buddy's house last weekend, like after a rager. It's like, this is something more than that. Well, I would love it if some bro dude came in from Florida. He's like, ah, oh, there's my Crocs and my hat. Later. It just walks back out again. <laughs> like, right. oh shit. Like, all right, I guess so. Whatever works, right? You know, like, you know, he's just excited, you know. Like, like when you think of a lost and found, it's just like, well, yeah, there's my kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're able to legally yeah. drink. So, oh, yeah. where the hell have I been? Yeah. No, but like, so then what happens then is that uh, David sees like this orb of light, like this, like this, in it's near her, her Mrs. Whitford, and it guides him to an, o- she, an object she cannot, she cannot see, see. that's important right and he's like well, all right well let's follow this and it takes it to a uh, glass a plastic box full of mice and he reads the instructions of like you know you got to calm the mice down or whatever and he's like well this is stupid and weird and she's like nah i think this is an abstract of like it's a it's a uh, it's a physical representation of a concept that it's like i've been anxious and running all over the place in many different directions and i've not found what i needed this is probably what I need to soothe. It's my it's it's my solution. And 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 it's like your Zelda puzzle. You know, you got to do this for five. You have to pet the mice for five minutes and calm them down. I don't I don't know how that's going to really work so, out. <laughs> there, do, I don't know if you remember. There was like these uh, point and click puzzle adventure games and like the PC from like the early nineties on that was like very like. That some of the puzzles were kind of like, that doesn't make sense. There's a whole thing that it's called moon logic where it's like, unless you stumble across it, it's not going to make any sense. Okay. I feel like this whole thing, a lot of it is just moon logic of like, 
well, it serves the story. Just figure it out. Like, I feel like there's a lot of like, that doesn't like, at least, at least she's trying to understand what's going on. And then she opens the box and all the mice run away. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you got to pet all of them. And then they all run away, which she's game though. Like, yeah, she's trying, she's trying. But also according to uh, the, the commentary track, they kept losing mice between takes. Um, and then eventually, <laughs> eventually I, I knew it. Yeah. Eventually, um, none of them were around. So somewhere on that back lot studio on CBS, there was a number of mics that just ran around <laughs> free. I knew, I knew it. <laughs> I knew I, I was like, the only thing I could think of is like, these things reproduce like crazy. I was like <laughs> somewhere in the walls right now on this, uh, on this set. It's like, there's thousands of yeah mice. yeah fair enough it's like night shift right it's fine or oh. graveyard graveyard shift yeah. it's going to be brad oh, duroff and the bat uh, so, monster yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what this is it's a precursor to graveyard shift if you no. only had some diet coke cans yeah uh, right to take yeah out. Uh, this is the, that's this is the origin story for that but i also like the idea that it's like um oh yeah it's just a bunch of mice just running around now but also the cbs guys when they were putting this together they all joked like they're like this is every prop we've never used like it's just stuck here <laughs> and so it was like the like they're like we got all these backlot props we're going to stick it in this thing to shoot it right but, i was i was yeah. hoping that for some reason we're walking past the, the grail you know <laughs> there's a shot though with david where it's like this above shot of him it's like at an angle that feels very much like indiana jones and in the raiders of the lost ark where you see you kind of hint at the expanse of how big this place is mm-hmm. you almost expect some guys to be wheeling you know the grail and be like you know top men you know <laughs> Like we got our top men yeah. on this project. Yeah. So Mrs. Whitford messes up the mice. They don't come back. She's broken. And David's like, yeah, F you. I'm out. Like, go, we're well, going to move on. What, what's worse, hurting cats or hurting mice? I yeah, mean, like, she lost the, them fast. Whew, yeah, super fast. So um, so he doesn't help. Like, he helps her, but he doesn't help her. Right. So then uh, and then uh, he we find out that he's been searching for this place for three years. Uh, and that, um, at one point, what was it, uh, as he's walking away from her wandering around that we see, um, another person like peering yeah. behind the shelves, skulking behind the shelves. Yeah. Like who the hell is this person and what's their intention? Yeah. So we don't know, we don't know what she's doing, but then eventually as he's walking around, that's when we find, um, uh, Stacy Keats senior who just happens to wander in like by completely by accident. And, and David's pissed because he's like, I've been looking for this place for three years. You just walked out of a wrong elevator and you're here. He's like, you know, flub me for, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> and it's like, so like, he's like, what'd you lose? And that's whenever the gentleman was like, my children's respect. And it's like, that's a very like, you know, direct thing. And then, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, David sees another ball of light and, and follows it to a mirror. And the, the, the instructions are staring in this mirror for five minutes. And we have the gentleman stare into it, which, <laughs> As as ridiculous as this episode is, and I don't know how I feel about it, what we see in the mirror is pretty horrific, all things considered. Yeah, he looks like he's made out of Play-Doh. Like, <laughs> it's really strange. Like, obviously, it's upsetting because he's looking into a mirror and all of a, all of a sudden, like, his figure be- starts to, like, morph. And, like, it looks like his face is made out of play-doh yeah, like that's like, what, the if, best what if i was a mashed potato man like, what if but it's like that like you wouldn't expect like for as as i mean we got this like the mice going away and, and the lady being upset about that i don't like that's a little bit of a light touch of what's going on metaphorically speaking this is pretty um drastic 
what we're seeing. And I'm like, oh shit, this is going to get dark in a hurry. And it's like, and that's the darkest it gets. He's like, basically he's, he's seeing what he believes that his children see in him, which is this like blobby, like mashed potato monster, man. And, but it's like the idea, it's like, you have to face yourself for this period of time. For five minutes. Yeah. And it's he, like, and within 30 seconds, he's like, no, and breaks the mirror. <laughs> like, and, and then he's looking down on the pieces. Like, do you think that we can put it back together? And David's like, not right, my problem. This, <laughs> yeah, it's like, peace, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm out. Yeah. So that's whenever he gets confronted by the person stalking him. That turns Melinda. out that's Melinda. Um, and then so she's like, you you have been kind of a, a jerk to them. And he's like, okay, great. You know, like, so what? You know, the whole thing. And then we, we learn a little bit of, like, reality is that she sees the balls of light as well. And it's been kind of, like, been, through deductive reasoning, it's determined that you can't find your own solution. Others have to help you. Yeah. So there's this weird Sith rule now where <laughs> there's always two. And <laughs> yeah, right. So like, so you can't see your own light to figure out what the problem is. So you could essentially be there locked in there for years and maybe no one would ever stumble into that. Yeah. Like, that, 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 that's valid. This place is a nightmare prison. though. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, so they come to an agreement. She's like, I will help you find your thing. If you help me find my thing. And he's like, Oh, I guess we're all stuck together or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's just, she, she mentions to him about his lack of empathy. And so he's, and so this is, this is the most human part of this episode for me. I'll say this re- realistic speaking. Here's a, here's a guy who's been just grinded down to the dirt, um, about being Asian American and how, this overt racism the entire time was just warning him, warning him, warning him. And it's like, that's a valid thing of like, why should I care anymore? Whenever, you know, people look at me weird. If I go on a date with somebody that's, that's not Asian, they look at me like some kind of like, you know, plague or whatever. Right? Yeah, I like how he says like, I'm tainting the gene pool yeah, by it, just having a cup of coffee with this woman. Yeah. And so when he mentions the, the murder of Vincent Chin, that's a real thing that happened. Um, and, I, I am like, it's go, go look it up. Cause it's, it's valid. He was, um, these idiots, these idiots of Michigan, these two guys, like they, they, um, they, they miss, uh, identified him of his race. That's not that, they're that doesn't forgive yeah, anything. Like they're still stupid assholes. Yeah. They're way. like, oh, the, like, oh, the, the Asian people are taking our jobs. We're going to beat this guy to death or whatever. Right. It's like, it, it's terrible, right? And 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 also the slaps on the wrist that happen initially, like it's just it is gross and unforgivable. There is some justice later, but it takes way longer than it should. Yeah, and then there's an update after that. Yeah, because we'll it's a hate crime. Later. Yeah, so so yeah, he's like, yeah, did you hear about this guy? Yeah, he was doing nothing and got beat to death because he existed. And I think he's like, why would I have empathy? Why would I like? And it's like. Fair play. You know, like I'm not like, you know, like I, I, I'm regardless of how um, jaded and hard I get about like the things going on. I, I still try to be at least like try to be nice to others, but I can't fault him for being like, well, I've existed and I've just been judged the entire time. And I see that others that look like me are getting beat to death. Why should I give a care? You know? Like, and and I, I, I think that it was a, a good choice to have both of the people that he's he's interacted with, um, you know, we have uh, are, are in a way are kind of older, entitled white people. They are, yeah. Which so, I don't know if that was the point, but 
it's it's really hard not to see it now. Right. Yeah. I think <laughs> it, it gets it gets David's motives across a little bit better because it's like, well, he is burned by society. Like he's just fed up, and we have these two two white people that probably just like have all their shit together. And he's some dude who has experienced a lot of problems because of white people. And so he's like, well, why should I have any empathy to these people here? You know, so I, I, I see the motives. I understand. Like, I understand his character a lot more. It, But it's like being a human being. It's still a thing. You know, <laughs> like, well, no, I it's just I think that I think that um, the dialogue and some of the motivations, it's just there's a way to thread that needle to make it a lot more sympathetic. Right. Um, but again, the, for what it is, and even, uh, even Brenner and um, like turning the commentary track was like, you know, it's, he's talking about 20 years later. He's like, there's a lot of different ways to probably approach this. And not that Wu was disagreeing with him, but he was like, yeah, like they were both very amicable and very friendly during the commentary. But it's like, I think there's a better way to express this same intent or not intent, but um, disposition is probably the right way to say that. So I think it's worthy of note. I think um, knowing that um, a lot of uh, Rod Serling's rage about like situations were influenced by the uh, murder of Emmett Till about being like, I need to speak socially about this, but how do I work within the confines of what's acceptable television without being specifically about race? But how do I, how do I say the things that's important to me? I think this is kind of in that spirit a little bit, you know, of like, you know, working within the confines of a fantasy and sci-fi science fiction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think that you, you kind of have to make it palatable for a broader audience. And, yeah. you know, the message is clear. And I'm glad that we have this this moment of uh, dialogue from D- uh, David to. Yeah, Melinda. because if it wasn't there. I don't like I mean, I, I, I have my feelings about the segment, but at least it grounds it in something. I'll say that, right? So, so yeah. So they agree to find their own balls of light. <laughs> what? There's I mean, no better way I, to say am it. Am I wrong about that? There's, there's no better way <laughs> hey, to say it. I'll find your balls. You find my balls. We're going to find, we're going to, we're going to fondle those balls together anyway. So, uh, so he fi- helps her find this, uh, like thermos that's full of like, the grossest looking vapor that's ever come out of everything. Fart gas. Yeah. Fart gas. I mean, so supposedly it was just burning paper in there and that the smell was so terrible that she had to act through how bad it was. But it's like, I want to, I want to like, so she like, she like inhales it and is, you know, probably knocked years off of her life. I don't know. I saw return of living dead. I wouldn't have trusted it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, what's the name of the gas? In a, it's trioxin. trioxin. Yeah, it's trioxin, right? Uh, trioxin yeah. uh, 245. I there think. you go. Uh, so she inhales it, but she starts laughing and like just, I just, I just, so I made the note laughing gas, question mark. I don't think that's correct, but she. Essentially, uh, it is. Yeah, it, it is, right? And so then she's like, a, like suddenly like not a different person, but like the rough edges are taken off of her. And then she keeps teasing a David. And I could, let me, let me admit this to you. Terry and our listeners, the first time she called him brown eyes, I misheard that. And I'm like, you're being racist as all get out. I was like, oh no. Like I just Yeah, because I 
Yeah, I I don't necessarily want to say it because no. like it is a very racist thing to say. <laughs> I was just like, are you saying anyway? So she keeps calling him brown eyes. I, I don't know how I feel about that. It's just weird, right? And so she's like, I'll help you find your balls, whatever. So should they find? So she like it's guided to. There's three vessels. It, it's like two. They all look like things you'd find in a wizard lab. I don't know if wizards have lab, but like a wizard, like there's like like a beaker, like a big bulbous thing. And then like, um, like a test tube type of like, there's three distinct shapes, right? Um, it's like legends of the hidden temple. Like you got to find the one thing, right? But, sorry. Finders keepers. Do you remember that Nickelodeon show? The finders keepers where they run through the house trying to find all the objects in the different rooms. Oh shit. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> yeah, this is finders this keepers. Is, this is like was yeah. this a little later than Dare? Uh, I, I Double think Dare? I, I think it was the same thing around the same time as uh, Legends of the Temple, where they just oh. send people. It was like a cutaway of a house, and they'd have them go like, "You got to find a thing in the kitchen." And they find like a rubber lizard or whatever, and have to move on. Like, yeah, I'm gonna it, have to look this up. It was man. like basically like, "Hey, what if we send you to a hoarder's nightmare, <laughs> and God. you have to grab things? You have to you dig know? through cat feces." So you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Nickelodeon's like, oh, <laughs> the owner of this house has seven cats. You got to dig through a bunch of cat shit to find the clue to move on to the next room. <laughs> Where is that game show? Yeah. TLC, you yeah. are yeah, you're missing. Right. No, no, you're right. They, they need to find these horror places and be like, let's get them out of there. But we can hide cash and prizes inside. It's these like, urine-covered teddy bears. Like, you, know, no, you gotta dig you can, through. If you can find the specific Time magazine from 1973, you can win money. <laughs> like, <laughs> but anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Was like that, like finders keepers. Like she's like, I have these three things, and it's like, and one of them oh, has it has your empathy. It's like, well, which one? She's like, I don't know. You'll have to pick. <laughs> Whatever. It was like, um, just, yeah, because she's Doctor Giggles now. Yeah, like, my God, it just like um, they. The, the commentary was like Brenner and we were talking about how she was really good at like, like displaying like the switch in emotions. I'm not, I don't think her, like when she became the funny version, just, she became way more annoying to me, but like, I'm not trying to judge her. And again, it's like, I think the dialogue's terrible that's written here. Uh, but anyway, so he takes two of the, the canisters and the test tube rolls away, he smashes them on the ground. You could also pull the corks out. That's an option. That Just was throw, an option. Yeah, yeah, it was an option. But he actually has this memory of a picnic that he had where it was like his last good memory before things turned sideways. And he, it's like, oh, he does feel better. But then uh, he realizes that like, you know, like he looks down and is like, oh, there's glass here and I should probably clean it up. And, and then they're Maybe talking about asbestos. Like, yeah, what the hell? yeah right. Uh, it's like, and, um, you know, and it's like also, oh shit. Um, my integrity, it might've rolled away or whatever. And it's like, it's like fair enough. It's like, there is, you know, or sorry, empathy. Right. And he talks about how his integrity back. Um, so whatever it's, it is what it is. It's fine. Like he actually realizes like, oh, you know what? I've been running around doing this entire time. He even even mentions earlier earlier that his um, partner of like five years leaves him earlier because of his lack of empathy, right? So they're like back and forth. And he's like, you know, maybe I should have handled the situations better with the other two people. And he's like, I feel like I kind of owe this place something now. And then she's like, yeah, because we found out her, she lost her sense of humor because of like a bad marriage and a bad divorce, which that'll do it to you. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, I mean, not that I know, but... I know that people can come out the other end of a bad situation and not be ever happy again. Right. So they found some stuff. 
like they're like okay cool like we're we're better places he's like you know maybe maybe i should be the person here guiding people around she's like well you know what my life was shit wherever it was maybe i should help out too so they decide to become like you know uh partners you know in this um this whatever this is this emporium right and that's that's kind of where it is right that's where we go with that where um He's like, I'm going to be manager of this place. She's going to join him. And then, um, and then people wander in, they're going to help him. Um, and then she puts a sign on the door that appears or disappears saying under new management. Um, and that's all well and good. I'm going to put this to you, Terry. The name of the segment is called Wong's lost and found emporium. The main character is named David Wong. And we never find anybody like running the place. So maybe this will get to our twist rating. <laughs> It just, it was like, oh, you're, did, no, what if you just called it the lost and found or something, right? Yeah. Which there's a segment here later in the 80s series called lost and found, but you could have done something else, right? Like you could have done, you could have done anything to not spoil what this was. Cause I mean, the ending, if you didn't think about the title, like, oh yeah, he did find his empathy. He did find his integrity. She found her sense of humor and it's like, and they know, they now realize that they could help others by seeing these balls of light that whatever this mystical thing is, right. They can guide them to where they need to be. And it's up to that individual to follow the rules. Like that, that's, that's nice enough. But like, as a, like, Oh, what's going on? My God, the title is like, Oh, what's her name? David Wong. And this is, Oh shit. Like, it's just, you could have, what, what, why didn't you change the title just for a second to at least like like leave us in the dark for a little bit? Yeah, it could have been a little bit more ambiguous. Like we could have just had something that I don't know, perhaps didn't lead you right to the end of the episode. Because yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it did. It, that's what you yeah. Got out of it. That's so. There we go. So, so um, yeah. yeah. So before we get spoiler to, alert, spoiler. Um, so before we get to the twist rating, which you know. Uh, it's going to be a little low. Um, wet so, fart. Yeah, right. It's going to be a wet, wet fart. fart. <laughs> uh, so um, do you have any other notes before I get into a little bit of the trivia? Nah, dude. I think you probably have better notes than I do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, whenever uh, Harlan Ellison actually... Um, they, they had a writer's workshop. So Harlan Ellison, that we know the guy who wants to fight everybody, actually, you know, <laughs> kind of prompted Wu with, like, where do lost things go? And then seven years after this workshop, uh, Wu was laying down for a nap and was like, oh, it's, it's come to me. You know, <laughs> so he wrote it out. So it's like, that's kind of cool that, like, he gives Harlan Ellison, like, credit for, like, where do lost things go? Because if it was me, it'd just be, like, all the socks I've ever lost. Left ones, right? left left socks, right? You know, and it's and, like, uh, they, and and the underpants, yeah, the, you know, all the underpants, the gnomes, yeah. those damn yeah. gnomes, yeah. It'd be every every time, right? So, um, but yeah, he ended up writing that real real fast, right? So, um, and then um, there was uh, Michael B. Tonin, who was a writer on the show, brought uh, the story to Brennan's attention to make the teleplay. So that's cool, right? So uh, other other uh, trivia here was that uh, the number of lost items, one of them. Um, of the, the skeletons you talked about, Carol Bruce was uh, like on the set and she realized that one of the skeletons was real and freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought that She's was funny. like, dad. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. She, yeah. Right. Pretty much. It's like, Oh, look at you. Right. Yeah, it's like you, you have, you have the same bone structure. Uh, no. Uh, so Wu was on set for the filming of the episode. That, that's kind of cool too. I mean, I know he only wrote the one, so that was fun. He was a fan of Carol Bruce and they got a photo together. 
Uh, but then, um, there the, wasn't, uh, there wasn't enough weird stuff going on in the episode. So somebody mentioned like, why not have a head in a jar? Like, so we, we didn't talk about how the live head doesn't make any sense, whatever. Right. It doesn't. Um, but then there's a bit also, whenever we see over, what was it? David shoulder, a teddy bear appears. Uh, it's like, bloop. you see like that. I don't know if you noticed that or not. There's a teddy bear that appears. It's like, so the, these objects that show up. So according to the commentary track, Paul Lynch, all that was his childhood teddy bear, and always made sure it showed up in everything he shot. Okay. Meaning, if we go back to uh, a message for charity and examination day, uh, or, or at least a message for charity, message from charity, that bear might be there somewhere. I think it's going to be in um, the like the the current day and time, right? Okay. So that's kind of a fun thing, right? That's interesting. That, that also kind of makes sense because things were showing up, right? Well, I, I love when uh, you know directors, writers, and people that participate in filming it. Have their own little touch. I mean, like, like your signature, Sam yeah. Raimi, Sam yeah. Raimi with his own car. Like, yeah, and then like Hitchcock showing up and everything, right? So right. that's fun. So also, uh, the original source story is written by Wu. Made a reference to the Chaser, uh, the season one episode of the Twilight Zone, nice. which I adore. It's a great episode, but it's like also you get somebody walking into a weird situation where someone's offering them an item, right? It's yeah. like, and so there's the thing there where like someone was talking, and someone made so in the short story, someone makes a reference to a uh, glove cleaner. But they took it out of the story in this teleplay, so there. That's kind of fun. But so I thought that was great. So, um, so after this, uh, there was in talks to make a sequel episode in the second season called "Missing Person" that Wu worked on. That was all about to be the lost item that showed up in the symposium was a person <laughs> needed to be claimed. So it never got picked up because at that point. Uh, the series is in the process of being canceled. We'll talk about season three because, like, I think season three was produced in Canada to get the syndication number. We'll get there when we get there. However, CBS didn't greenlight it. So he actually wrote that as a short story. He's written two, this one and one other story that exists in the Emporium. Interesting. So, I mean, for, for what it's worth, right? So, um, so yeah, he, he wrote like a couple of these short stories that have been his collections. So, and then also, according to Brennert, in the early 2000s, he was in talk. Uh, to adapt this into a sci-fi channel series in which the two main leads actually, this was going to be like an anthology series of its own. It never got past like the talking stage. I feel like the, the librarians is pretty close to this idea. What was that warehouse 13? I think that's also, or even like um, Friday 13th, the series. Correct. Yeah. But that's cursed. This is more like feel good mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, there was a series at NBC years ago called Nightmare Cafe, which no one remembers, but it had um, Robert England in it, where this cafe would just kind of show up all over the country. It was like a 24-hour diner, and people would wander in and like, we got to help them. It was like this weird, weird thing. It was really weird, but... It's a really cool idea. Yeah, I just I just remember liking it, because like Robert England was like, he wasn't in makeup and was kind of like this guy that was there, and like you got to figure out like, oh, he's been around for a really long time. It was... A, so, um, it... Like this idea of like, I, I, I'm always fascinated with places that shouldn't exist where they're at or, you know what I mean? Like they don't like, they have a physical space, but it doesn't make sense. I think that's a fun idea. Um, like, but it's it, like, I mean, it gives a, a lot of room to do something with it. Yeah. You know? With this though, it's like, you know, I don't know. Like if people are already there, it's like, and they're just trying to find items, like how much, like how much through line could you be like, Oh, I found a box of mice. I guess this is what I'm doing now. You know, it's like, like, you know, it's, it, it's like there, it's a way of kind of doing an anthology show, but it's more of a problem of the week 
more of like, you know, like it's kind of in a weird way. This is kind of like quantum leap, but kind of weirdly backwards where people are coming to you and you got to solve their problems as opposed to you going to them and solving their problems. Um, so I can see also I can find in another lifetime, this would have been a Sterling pitch and it would have been a comedy pitch and whether, which was a guardian angel, <laughs> it would have been terrible. So, so yeah, there we go. Like what could have been so that that's before we get to the twist. Um, I gotta tell you, like this was like, it wore its heart on its sleeve. It was okay. There was a lot more implied here than was shown. It's not the worst thing I've seen in the twilight zone, but it was just like, it just, it felt so slight that I don't know how I felt about it. Yeah. I kind of was left um, a little flat on it. Like it could have went uh, and like been an amazing episode. Honestly, like, I, I mean, I, I like when David told um, Melinda his, like his reason for yeah. being, I don't know, a jerk. He was real. Like, let's get down to it. He was a jerk, but his motives I understand it, and I'm glad that we have an episode of some kind of series that talks about these kinds of problems, you know, and like, you know, that that's totally relates to the original series as well. With Rod Serling doing everything that he did to bring real world problems to to like an audience to the fantastic, yeah, yeah. well, like, yeah. yeah, well, that yeah. too, but it's like, but to make people like look at themselves in the mirror. And kind of reflect on yeah. like the decisions that they've made in the past. So, with all that said, though, it's like I think you nailed it when you said that the way that the script is written, though, like the the the, the, the words on the paper, like just didn't service no. the rest of the story. No, you could have. I think you could have approached this, and you could have. Um, I, I think there's something here that could have been way more interesting and fascinating, you know, but. It is what it is. It's like, it's not, it's not offensive. It just, it, it's there. It's perfectly okay. It, it kind of makes you ask a lot of questions, rightfully so. Right. So I'm not going to say this was a bad segment. It's just kind of, it's kind of there. However, I appreciate bringing a different voice and I appreciate bringing a different kind of story. So, right. um, so, um, so my, I'm not going to shit all over this because it's like, ah, it was perfectly okay. And I also appreciate where it's coming from and what it's trying to do. So it, 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 it edges a little closer to like, oh, okay. You know, like it's, it's a very fine line. It's a very, very fine line, but yeah, it like you could do worse with 20 minutes, you know? So, and we, we have found that. <laughs> so so yeah, that's that's all that the trivia I had for um, for Wong's Lost and Found Emporium. Uh, any other notes before we get to the twist? That's it, man. All right. <laughs> twist rating as as it always goes here on the show one through five. One being we saw it from a mile away, and five being mind blowing. Does not the, the twist rating does not affect how we feel about the episode. However. With the episode segment being called Wong's Lost Without Emporium and then the main character being named Wong and we never find the the owner of the place, we'll give it a one. Seems pretty obvious from the jump. I, I don't know if uh, I explained it well enough earlier. It's going to be a one. <laughs> yeah, there there really wasn't anything that surprised me about the outcome here. So Yeah, except for that I learned there's like probably... 10,000 mice now on a, a CBS back lot somewhere <laughs> and kind of like, like, like a secret of NIM scenario where they're just like, they, they figured out, uh, how to run technology. Right. So anyway, so, 
Um, there's a segment of the most recent season of Love, Death, and Robots dealing with like uh, uh, rats in a barn that keep getting smarter. That's a lot of fun. So I'll just put it. That's kind of where I'm thinking. That's what's going to happen there. So, all right, that's going to do it for our discussion about Wong's Lost and Found Emporium. Uh, you guys can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. You guys can email us directly at Strange Highways, uh, podcast.gmail.com. Wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. We like, as always, Terry, I appreciate the conversation. You are a friend and a brother, and it's always fun, no matter how. No matter how we land on something, I always appreciate the journey. So I'll just say that, and I appreciate it, and I hope everybody else appreciates the conversation as well. And if you enjoy this, uh, let other people know, because there is 800 gazillion different watch-through podcasts right now, and I understand that Occupy is a very particular space, and everybody's time is precious, right? But if you enjoy this conversation, be like, hey, person out there listen to all the true crimes podcasts. Maybe you want to listen to something that's not true crime for a second and listen to two, two silly guys talking about some twilight zone. It'd be great. Just recommend it. And Terry, how can people find us otherwise? Check us out on an Instagram. Uh, we're, we're having some fun over there. Uh, maybe some people don't really do the Facebook thing that much anymore. I mean, I understand, but <laughs> yeah. it's like, but you know, that's an option for you guys. And then like Paul said, if you go and rate it and review on those uh, different sources, Spotify is an option as well. They're yeah. starting to like they started a thing probably about a year ago now, I believe, um, where you can do a five star rating. If we're not making that five star rating for you, let us know why not. You know, <laughs> like be like, I don't know how I feel about uh, all the lost and found items here. No, but uh, you know something, man. You have another podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You're gonna we're gonna mention that real quick here. So I just want to mention talk that, about that. We'll talk about that in a second. No, if you guys like this too, it also I know I post may I post mainly on Facebook. If you guys find those posts there and like to share them, that'd be greatly appreciated because you never know who's going to be interested in that. So yeah. uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. Also, yes, yes, yes. Terry was a wonderful guest on another show that I do uh, called Strange Hot Strange Highways. That's the show we do. My God, it's I called was a guest on and, this and, again. And this one, Terry's nice. my guest on this one now. <laughs> uh, invasion of the podcast. Uh, Terry was on our most recent episode. There, uh, we talked about the John Carpenter film Christine. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation. Uh, go over there. Uh, we all had a lot of fun. Uh, we got a little into our cups. That's what we do there. But please, 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 if you want to listen about uh, Carpenter. Uh, Christine, um, you know, shitters, uh, go over there and check it out. It was a lot of fun. Please, please, please go check that out on base of the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me over there. And, uh, Steve is a, a great host as well. So yeah, please check them out over there at invasion of the podcast. Like they do a great job. I like that. You're like, thank you for having me over there, which you're literally sitting in the same chair as we're recording this right now. You're like, yes, this is where we're at anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it was episode three twenty six. Go over and check it out. Uh, Christine. Uh, I, I love that goddamn movie. I'm not, I've, I've not, I've like, I didn't hide that from the start. Like it's a great film. It's, so, it's yeah. one of those movies I can put on and just like fall asleep and just have yeah. those, all that music just play out in my, <sighs> so good. It's my such dreams. A good oh, yeah. so good. So, all right. So let's go do it for us this week. Uh, let's just get into uh, what we're doing next week. And now Mr. Serling. So next episode, we're getting into a season one, episode 10 segment, a the shadow man. Um, I don't know what this is, but it sounds spooky. So we might be getting some more, uh, like, like, you know, supernatural horror, which sounds like Terry's going to be all about that. So I cannot wait until get into the shadow man, like versus like people that just hang out in the background. 
<laughs> you know, like it's like you can't see me. Like I'm in the darkness. I don't know. We'll see what's going to get in there. Um, like yeah, it's going to be fun. It's it's a spooky title, and maybe we'll get in some more um, actual horror like related. Yeah, things. if it's anything like Slender Man, like let's go. There you <laughs> go. So, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Uh, and I, I I know I always say that for every show I do. It's just. It's getting, it's getting more and more pertinent. Please have a safe week, you know? Like, so that's, and in the meantime, um, I don't know. Um, like if you're looking for a lost and found, maybe don't go into a sex shop. That seems like a bad call. Hey, you're definitely going to get something lost. used a bicycle pump, a hair dryer, even my mouth. Please, let's not get graphic. I mean, how would you like waking up next to something that looks like a jellyfish with You've rouge? You've got a great deal. I didn't even charge you for the bikini.